The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Diamond Crown. Sit back, relax, pour a drink, and light up a Diamond Crown as you begin the show with the general, Cigar Dave. This is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the general Cigar Dave. Today, we will conduct a special show, different type of show, but with the post-events following the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, South Florida, 11 days ago, I feel that it is imperative because many items are being ignored by the media formerly known as the mainstream media. I prefer to call that media the agenda stream media. And today I'm going to give you my analysis of what the agenda stream media is ignoring, and I believe specifically. So we will address the shooting, the attack, the massacre. We will primarily look at the post results of what took place and what can be done to eliminate this in the future. Long-ass greetings and salutations, a long-ass snappy salute, semper delictatio, always pleasure, although today we will mix some pleasure with life's reality. Make America great again, semper delictatio, long live the alpha. As always, I welcome you to join us, and today we will make this, when I'm finished pontificating and giving you my analysis what the agenda stream media is ignoring, my items that I believe are contributing to the breakdown behavior of boys in this country. We will go to your calls. I want this to be a conversation. I want you, unlike the CNN forum, which was one-sided, did not respect the other side, we will always respect all opinions here. doesn't mean we necessarily agree with them, and that's fine. But we will always hear everyone out respectfully as opposed to what took place at that CNN town hall earlier this week. 877-DAVE-007, 877-328-3007 if you care to join us. Now, what took place on Wednesday, February 14th was an absolute outrage. I don't care if it's in a school I don't care if it's in a workplace. I don't care if it's in a place of, of a, a retail store. I don't care where it happens. There is no excuse. There is no place for it anywhere here or anywhere else in the world. The attack by 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz, a deeply warped person, major mental issues, no ifs, no ands, no buts who goes into the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. At 2.21 p.m., all three floors start shooting randomly inside the school. 17 
students and faculty dead. 14 are injured. Now, over the last week or so, we have heard tremendous blame towards guns and towards the NRA. Well, that's simplistic, because as we know, as what we have found out now, the FBI failed to investigate numerous warnings. The most recent warning, about 30 days ago, the transcript was released, is chilling. You have a person that specifically calls and says, this kid is extremely immature. He wants to shoot up a building. I have to call and get this off my conscience because if something happens, I will have to live with that. That's why I'm calling the FBI. The FBI failed the very people who pay their salaries, whom they are tasked with serving and protecting. The Broward Broward County Sheriff's Department, led by Sheriff Scott Israel, they failed. They failed 39 times on warnings, on calls to the crew's home, numerous behavioral issues, beating up his mother. Most recently, there was a, a problem where he uh, attacked the people that were in his, that he was staying at after his mother passed away earlier in the fall. Many calls to the house. They failed. And they failed during the shooting. The resource officer left the building, never went back in. And three other Broward Sheriff, County Sheriffs, undersheriffs, that, that officers that responded to the call, they waited outside by their cars. They didn't go in and storm the building. Now, I believe every sheriff, if I'm not mistaken, has a shotgun in their car. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I believe that is the case. They could have easily gone in, stormed the building, instead of waiting for SWAT or other backup. You had four officers there. And what we are finding is they failed. They hid, They were cowards. And you may say, well, General, it's easy for you to say they're cowards. Well, I'm not trained to be a professional police officer to respond to those type of instances. That's their job. That's what they train for. They protect and they serve. And if they don't want to put their, they know it's a hazardous job, and if they don't want to do that, then leave the force. The Broward County Sheriff's Department failed. The security feed at the school on a 20-minute delay Everybody in America now has a security camera. On a, you can look at it on your iPhone, on your Android, on your computer, and they're on a 20-minute delay? That didn't just happen that day. That's been like that for probably years, and nobody failed to recognize that's a problem? That if there is a security feed and a live, uh, something going on live, somebody monitoring can see and say, we got to get people out there immediately. So after all these failures... Who do they blame? Who do these students, who do the parents, who do the sheriff's department uh, blame? The NRA, Scapegoat City. I don't agree with everything the NRA does, and I think there should be changes. But I know why the NRA does not want to make changes, and I'll get to that later. Because we've seen it, especially those of us who enjoy cigars, we've seen it in the cigar industry and other industries. Why the NRA doesn't want to acquiesce to even common sense changes. And then I watch that CNN town hall, and I see Sheriff Scott Israel sitting up there going against Dana Loesch when Dana is saying to, to, to the sheriff, hey, you had 37, 39 times to look at this. And he goes right after her, knowing full well 
He knew that day after the uh, that night when the when the shooting took place on Wednesday, February fourteenth, two twenty one. He knew by that evening. He knew that his three deputies stayed outside and didn't go into the building. I also believe that he knew that the school resource officer, who is a Broward County sheriff's officer, also didn't go in, yet he stands in front of the microphones and gets up and acts like he's the hero and he's leading everything, leading the assault, leading the charge, knowing full well that the police chief, that not only did the mayor of Coral Springs, but so too did the police chief of Coral Springs bring him very angrily and tell him what his officers did because the Coral Springs Police Department, they responded with their first responders. Their police officers went in. They immediately went in, didn't wait for SWAT teams or anybody else to come in. They immediately went in, and they told their chief of police exactly what took place, and now it is all coming out. Everything, the truth always comes out. Coral Springs City Manager Mike Goodrum chewed out Sheriff's, uh, Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel over the malfeasance, did it the next day on February 15th. So he knew, sheriff, the sheriff knew that his officers screwed up, and yet he stands up on the stage blaming the NRA and, and going after Dana Loesch saying she doesn't know what she's talking about when he ought to be looking in the mirror. Because he's the first one to get up in front of the microphones and say, I'm leading the charge. This is going to be my big moment here. And yet, we're seeing now that the Coral Springs city manager and the Coral Springs uh, chief of police, Anthony Pustizzi, knew exactly what took place. And the Coral Springs chief of police had a very interesting email that went out to all their first responders, and here's what he said. This is a, a part of it. I understand that another agency has given the impression that it had provided the majority of the rescue efforts and that the tremendous work of the Coral Springs Police and Fire Departments has not been recognized. Please know that this issue will be addressed and the truth will come out in time. So it's easy to blame the NRA. It's easy to blame guns. And what we saw were the students and parents justifiably to go through an attack like that is horrific. I wish that on no one. Watching the pictures and the video, tremendously terrifying. I'm not in any way, shape, or form minimizing what they went through. The grief, the mourning, the sense of loss by the parents and other family members and students and teachers, understand that fully. I understand their anger. But not once. Well, maybe I did hear once during that CNN town hall, somebody bring up the point that the sheriff's department, that there were warning signs with the FBI. But every other kid that was there, every other teacher, they all went after Senator Marco Rubio. They went after Dana Lash. Never once did they bring up criticizing the FBI for missing two tips that were, that were clearly given to them. Never once did they go after the Broward County sheriffs saying that they had 37 or 39 times that they were called to the home. They never put a watch, never followed up. And they were never told until after the CNN town hall about the resource officer who decided not to go in, who left the building, and three other Broward County sheriff's officers who got to the scene and decided to hide behind their cars and not storm the building. Convenient, Sheriff. 
Very convenient. So I understand you want to blame someone else because it's tough to look in the mirror and say, my department screwed up. It's tough for the FBI to say, we screwed up. I understand that. But in and of itself, you can blame the NRA, you can scapegoat them, and now, of course, we see all these companies that are severing ties with the NRA because it's the pussy-like, cowardice thing to do. But I'm here to tell you, the agenda stream media is ignoring four very important items that are contributing to what I call the breakdown behavior in boys. They can blame the guns. They can blame the NRA. There are far deeper issues. It is, a, it is not a simplistic solution. Now, I recall when I was growing up, we played cops and robbers. We roughhoused. We watched cartoons where, where I remember uh, Roadrunner would drop an anvil on Wiley E. Coyote. Did we ever want to go out as kids and get an anvil and drop it from the second or third story on someone? Never. We used to see... All sorts of cartoons where they had the TNT and it would go off and explode, whether it was uh, one of the Warner Brothers cartoons. Did we ever want to go get some TNT and give it to someone and have it explode? Never. Why? What has led to the violent change, to the violent carnage? We'll eliminate guns, take care of all the problem. We eliminate the NRA, eliminate guns. You think they're not kids that are disturbed, are not going to find another weapon of choice, whether it's a baseball bat, whether it's a homemade bomb, whether it is a car, whether it's their bare hands. Do you think they're not going to find another weapon? Do we have to fortify schools? Yes. Do we have to heed every tip that comes in? You're damn right. But there's another thing we must do, and we must address the breakdown behavior in boys. There are four reasons for the contributing to the breakdown behavior in boys. Four, primary. The first is boyhood behaviors are discouraged. Boys are being emasculated. We can trace this to the feminist movement. Forty years ago, 40 years ago, the feminist movement started rearing their heads and started saying and blaming men for the root of all their evils. Men keep women down. Men have this glass ceiling. Men are the problems. Men, men, men. We've got we've to make men evil. They are the enemy. And so what happened? They said, well, if we want to eliminate this masculine behavior in men, it has to start with boys. We need to start feminizing boys at a young age. Let's indoctrinate them. Create boy betas so they will grow up to be male betas, beta males. You've heard the expression, boys will be boys. I've heard it. You've heard it. We all practiced it. If we were boys, we were boys. That means we played cops and robbers. I remember my grandparents went out to Disneyland. And they brought me back a... A, uh, like a sheriff's hat, a western hat, with a holster that had cap guns, and we shot them off all over the place. Did I ever want to go and get a real gun and say, great, I'm going to go shoot everyone up? Never. We played cops and robbers. We roughed house. We wrestled. We tackled. We played football, touched football. We tackled each other. We had a tremendous amount of rambunctious energy. Today, it's called ADD. But when we were growing up, it was the natural expression of boys to let out their boy behavior. That's a normal social development behavior. Let boys be boys. Let them participate in roughhousing and wrestling and other types of, of activities. 
It's part of boys developing socially. But today, boys are attacked for being boys. Normal social development behaviors that we practiced for hundreds and hundreds of years now are ostracized and eliminated. You can't roughhouse in school. You can't play tackle. You can't wrestle. Cops and robbers, forget that. Your rambunctious energy, no, 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 no. You've got ADD. We have to harness that. So number one, boyhood behaviors have been discouraged for the last 40, really 20, 25 years. The second item contributing to uh, breakdown, boy breakdown behavior is a focus on girls in the classroom. Boys have been neglected in the classroom in favor of girls, sometimes unconsciously, unconsciously, sometimes subtly, but it has been reality for over 20 years. Boys now in the classroom have been relegated to left-out status because the feminists have been spewing the fact that, hey, these boys, you know, they're going to be, they're going to grow up into men and they're going to keep women down. So we have to spend more time with women and girls. I have no problem with spending more time with girls, but just spend the same amount of time with boys. Make it fair. Don't single out boys. So boys are now relegated to left-out status in the classroom. We hear girls are smarter. Girls have a brighter future. Boys, just leave them on their own. They'll get into a trade, but it's the girls that are the bright future. Confidence starts young. When you don't give boys or girls confidence young, what will happen? They turn into timid adults that lack confidence, lack self-esteem. They will eventually lash out if provoked. They'll snap. I used a dog analogy when I got my, my German Shepherd. My, my breeder said, look, when you get Sultan, now that you have Sultan, for the first six months, you got to give him a lot of confidence. Praise him. Give him confidence. It's exactly what I did. For those of you that are at the Alpha Pleasure Fest, you saw I've got a very confident dog, very confident amongst people, very social. That happens when they are young. Now, when I come back, I'll tell you the two remaining items contributing to the breakdown of boy behavior. Listen to Cigar Dave anytime and anywhere with podcasts of the show. Download them through iTunes or visit CigarDave.com. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. The Cigar Dave show is available 24-7, 365 via the Cigar Dave mobile app for Android, iPhone, as well as Amazon Kindle. 
You don't need to be in front of a radio. You just need to have your mobile device ready to go. And you can listen to me take on the enemies of pleasure. Talk about the alpha male good life as we talk cigars, spirits, diversions, grilling, everything associated with the alpha male good life. So go download the Cigar Dave mobile app today, presented by Diamond Crown. And you can listen to the show live, noon to 2 Eastern time, anywhere around the world. And as soon as the show is done, we run a continuous loop. The show is also available on demand. Also our Twitter feed, Facebook feed, and the ability for you to record a message and send it directly to us. So go right now. If you've got an Android, an iPhone, or the Amazon Kindle, Go and download the Cigar Dave mobile app presented by Diamond Crown. Never miss a minute of a Cigar Dave show with the Cigar Dave mobile app. I am Madrid. Con sus amigas en la calle de Madrid. La República. Como. Mr. Todo el Mundo. Y esto es para todas las locas que vemos por ahí. Every single time I see her. I see her hanging. All right, continuing the items contributing to the breakdown behavior in boys. And by the way, if you want to join us on the conversation, 877-DAVE-007, 877-328-3007. We will get to your comments and your calls. I started out the first two items contributing to the breakdown behavior in boys, the emasculation of boys at a young age. Number two, the fact that boys are neglected in the classroom Number three, lack of masculine role models. We are seeing an increase in the number of single-parent households where, 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 where sons are living with their mothers. Now, the percent of children living in single-mother households, 1960 was 8%. 2016, 23%. It has increased dramatically. So what we're seeing now is that there is a further feminization. When you don't have an alpha male role model in the home, you don't have a boy being taught alpha behavior, how to be alpha, how to be uh, confident, how to become, go from boy to becoming a man. And a lack of masculine role models has a, a tremendous detrimental effect. The last one, the everyone's a winner generation. And I'll get to that when we come back. I'll get to that. Then we'll conduct the National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. We'll get to your calls at 877-DAVE-007. George Sosa, Vice President of Sales, Alec Bradley Cigars, will join us in hour number two. as We talk about the Alec Bradley Prinsado Lost Art, the January Officers Club selection, and all of Alec Bradley's lineup. Check out the all-new CigarDave.com. Get info on the cigars and libations the general enjoys during the show. Get recipes from the pooch pit and drink cocktails, too. You can listen to the show on our 24-7 stream or download the latest podcast to listen to anytime. Get it all at CigarDave.com. It's a day here at the Jensen Estate patio overlooking the 13th green. And we're underway. Jim Jensen has chosen his favorite stick. The Diamond Crown Number no. 4 by J.C. Newman. See the way he holds the cigar, Tom? Mm -hmm. Excellent balance and heft. Ooh, he's eyeing the silky Connecticut Shade Wrapper, fermented twice for the smoothest, richest flavor. And hand-rolled by the Fuente family with a blend of six to seven distinct Dominican and Caribbean basin tobacco leaves. Each lovingly aged for at least five years. Oh, now Jensen's lighting up the Diamond Crown.
crown. He's got a precision burn, Tom. Mm, those highly complex flavors with hints of dark chocolate really deliver, Bill. Yes, like all cigars in J.C. Newman's premium diamond crown line. That'd be the highly rated Maximus and the Julius Caesar. Ah, now Jensen's settling in, rolling the rich smoke through his nose. Look at the satisfaction on his face, Bill. Oh, a thing of beauty, Tom. Experience the premium Diamond Crown brand by J.C. Newman at select retailers or Diamond Crown Lounge near you. Find us on Facebook at J.C. Newman Cigar Co. or visit diamondcrown.com. Dave, 007-877-328-3007, special edition of the Cigar Dave Show as we examine what the agenda stream media is ignoring about the uh, items contributing that have contributed to many of these mass school shootings. And I, I stated that there are four items contributing to what I call breakdown behavior of boys, and I want to recap the first three. First one is the emasculation of boys. Boyhood behaviors have been discouraged. Number two, boys have been neglected in the classroom in favor of girls. And when you look at that, you look at the majority of college graduates now, the majority of secondary graduate degrees are women, are females. That has totally reversed. We have seen that as a result of boys being neglected in the classroom. The third thing, a lack of masculine role role models. Over the last 20, 25 years, 30 years, as we have seen the rise of single-parent households, boys living with their mothers, not having an alpha male role model, not having someone that can guide and give confidence to the young lad, we're seeing boys growing up into young men and men becoming beta males. And I recall a, a friend of mine who is a single mother, and her son now is, uh, is graduated from college, but she told me a long time ago, because she listened to my show and had her son listen to my show, talking about the alpha male lifestyle and alpha male pleasure maneuvers, and she said, you know, I was very conscious, because uh, she got divorced when her son, I think, was about seven or eight, and she said, I wanted to make sure I had plenty of male role models around him, whether it was his uncle, whether it was male friends of mine. She made it a point to have him always surrounded by those male role models who took him to boy and man type of activities, whether it was sporting events or other activities. But he had that male influence, and he has turned out into a become an alpha male. And she said, that was my fear, being around a female too much. I didn't want my son to become feminized. I wanted him to be a functional adult alpha male, and she succeeded. Now, the fourth item, and there are some other items, but these are the four primer. The fourth item contributing to the breakdown behavior in boys, the everyone's a winner generation. The entitlement of all of the children today, participation trophies for everyone, 
We don't keep score because everyone's a winner. We have seen this over. We never had this when I was growing up. When I was growing up, we kept score. Whether it was three, four, what, five, six, seven years old, whether we played, whether it was uh, baseball or kickball or football or hockey, whatever it was, whether it was checkers, we kept score. We were competitive from young ages. Our parents never said, you're too competitive. Don't keep score because you're all winners. Our parents wanted us to learn how to lose, how to learn from losing, how to learn from defeat, how to become motivated from defeat. Instead, what we have today are kids, boys, and it's girls too, but, prime, but when you look at the problems, it's boys that don't know how to lose. They don't know how to be motivated by loss. Instead of saying, I lost, I got to work harder, their father or mother saying, look, you got to work a little harder, you got to run a little faster, we got to go and practice more. Instead, they're like, you're a winner. You are a champion. You're perfect. You are great. The problem is, Kids start believing that line of BS. They grow into adolescence and young adults, and they have never experienced how to lose. You can't learn how to lose on the field. You will not learn how to lose in life. Everything does not go your way 100%. I can tell you that on the way to success, I made many stops along the way to fa- uh, many stops uh, at failure before I achieved success. Failure is not a bad thing. You learn from failure. You are motivated by failure and make success even more joyful and more pleasant. So when we see young adults that don't get their way, boys that that didn't know how to lose, we see young uh, 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 adolescent boys and, and young boys, young adults, what happens when they lose, that things don't go their way, when they're teased a little bit, when they when they don't get what they want? They snap. They snap. And today when they snap, because of all the aforementioned items contributing to breakdown behavior, they don't say, geez, I lost, didn't, this didn't go my way, I got to work harder. Instead, they want to pick up a gun, blame everyone else except themselves, and shoot and murder the hell out of people. That is reality. That is fact. The entitlement generation, the entitlement of kids today is an epidemic. It is pervasive. When I was growing up, constructive criticism was a good thing. My parents gave me constructive criticism, and the reason they did is because they said, look, we want you to achieve. We want you to become better. We want you to learn. Even today, when somebody gives me constructive criticism, whether it is a colleague, whether it is a a, uh, a fellow uh, member of the staff of the Cigar Dave show. Listen, I don't say, no, no, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Now, there's certain things that I say, look, on that, yeah, I agree with, or this, I don't. But I don't say, oh, you're attacking me personally. And the problem today is that constructive criticism is now equated with a personal attack on someone. So if you tell someone, listen, let me give you an idea on how to, how to do that just a little bit better, a little bit more efficiently, a little bit easier. Now, all of a sudden, they look at that, you've attacked me. Because they are not brought up to be taught constructive criticism. They're taught they are perfect. They are wonderful. They're championship champions. They're just incredible. I see it all the time every day. And to you parents that have coddled your kids, that have participated in this everyone's a winner generation, the entitlement generation, 
you have done your children a lifetime of disservice because they don't know how to function as adults. And I can tell you, I've seen it from kids in my neighborhood who have been given everything, everything, never had to work for anything. They're 16, they get a $40,000, $50,000 car, and they turn into giant screw-ups that can't function. So when we look at all these items together, from the emasculation of boys, eliminating boy behavior, from the classroom focus on girls instead of boys, from the lack of masculine role models, to the everyone's a winner generation, you add all that up and we produce young adolescents, boys that don't know how to deal when things don't go their way. And they snap. And if you want to have a true conversation about how to solve these problems, Look at those four aforementioned items that I just discussed in detail. You can blame the guns. You can blame the NRA. But why is it that when we grew up, whether you grew up in the 40s or 50s, I grew up late 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, we didn't see kids go and take guns and shoot up schools. Never happened. NRA was around back then. Plenty of guns around back then. Never saw it happen. We started seeing it, I think, really, I think it was right around Columbine, which I think was, what, early 90s, mid-90s? That seemed to be the start of it. And again, go back and look at the feminist movement, and when boys were emasculated and neglected in the classroom, the everyone's a winner generation, and the lack of masculine role models. Every single one of these factors contribute to the breakdown of boy behavior. It is a huge problem. Now, I've been going after the agenda stream. You know, we, you, people call it the mainstream media. You can call it the liberal stream media, the libstream media, the agenda stream, because they really have an agenda. And the agenda, as we saw with CNN, they want to go after NRA, go after guns, and these kids, the same thing. They've got them all indoctrinated. And I'm not minimizing what they went through in any way, shape, or form, but they're indoctrinated. And when I watched that CNN show, that CNN town hall, uh, just flabbergasted at, number one, how some of these kids were speaking to the adults, the senators. I understand you can be angry and you can disagree, but you do it in a polite manner. But the, 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 the condescending attitude these kids had. And another perfect example of the everyone's a winner generation, they expect to get everything immediately, the entitlement generation. There's a large number of kids, high school kids from that school down in Parkland and other schools that went up to Tallahassee earlier this week. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. And they protested, and the House was in session, and they wanted a bill immediately raising the age to 21 and eliminating the assault rifles and so on in the state. They wanted a bill that day. They wanted it immediately. And when the House declined to do it, you saw they had a picture of numerous kids in the gallery crying, upset. Why? Because they didn't get their way that immediate second. Because, by golly, they're entitled. They should get everything they want immediately. They shouldn't have to work for it. They don't, they don't have to. They should just, by magic, go up and tell everybody what they want, and government should just bend over for them. This is the type of next generation of Americans that the current generation has produced. They've, they've produced entitled soft, demanding kids that don't believe they have to work for anything, that believe they're entitled to every single thing. And when I watched that CNN debate, or not the debate, it, it, it devolved really into debate, and it reminded me of watching it 
into the Senator Paul Wellstone Memorial Service. You will remember, you will recall, Senator Wellstone and his part of his family and his crew died in a in a charter aircraft accident while he was campaigning. Jeez, uh, I think this has got to be back maybe 18 years ago, 20, uh, maybe it was less than that. Maybe it was 12 years ago, 14 years ago. And I will re- never forget, there were numerous Republicans, including Senator Lott, Trent Lott, who showed up. Numerous other Republicans were there in support. It was a memorial service. They made the trek. And one of Senator Wellstone's acquaintances, friends, turned the memorial service into an unabashed political rally, a partisan political rally, and got everybody riled up, so much so that when certain Republicans were introduced, they were booed, they were heckled, I'm sorry, it was disrespectful. You're in a memorial service. And nobody stepped up and said, even the organizer now, after all these years, said, you know, I should have done something, said, excuse me, this is a memorial service. This is not a political theater, political, a political uh, convention. This is a memorial service. The people that are here have come out of the respect for Senator Wellstone and his memory. And we will not devolve this into a, if you feel you want to make this a political rally, I ask you to please leave. Nobody did that. And it got raucous, so much so that uh, the Republicans, they ended up leaving. And I'll never forget that. And it turned on the Democrats. It turned on the Democrats. It turned on the Democrat candidate at the time. It turned. Because people looked at that and it rubbed them the wrong way. And I'm telling you what I saw at the CNN town hall rubbed me the wrong way. And I understand that parents are angry. I understand that the kids that went through it are angry. They have every right to be. They're mourning. They're angry. What they went through, horrific, tragic. But what I saw at that CNN town hall, going after people who came, who showed up to the party, I'm using that as a figure of speech. It wasn't a party. But it turned into really a political rally. But Senator Rubio was there. Dana Lash was there. But when I come back, we're going to play a couple of sound bites, and I'll get into it. By the way, if you do want to join, we do welcome your calls, 877-DAVE-007, 877-328-3007. We will continue around the corner. Get the latest cigars, hand-picked by the General, each month, delivered straight to your door. When you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club, for just $22.95 a month, you'll receive three premium cigars in a customized Ziploc Cigar Dave pouch. To join, go to CigarDave.com. As a cigar connoisseur, one of the pleasures that we derive is walking into our retailer's humidor and seeing the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Nine years ago, I had the idea that I wanted to share great cigars with the cigar lieutenants. So, the Officers Club was born. Every month, you will receive three fantastic premium cigars direct to your door, shipped in a very dapper Officers Club customized Ziploc cigar pouch. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. No long-term contracts. You can cancel whenever you want. You enjoy great cigars right to your door. Names like Perdomo, Diamond Crown, Brickhouse, San Latano, Rocky Patel, Torano, CAO, Avo, Camacho, Greycliff, and many more. Join the Officers Club today. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and for $22.95, you'll get the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. America is under attack. 
Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. The general has turned on the no pleasure police side. You may now feel free to enjoy the good life. All right, as we continue my analysis, what the agenda screen media ignored, and I broke down the four items contributing to what I call breakdown behavior in Boys, we will get to the sound bites from the CNN Town Hall in a bit. Next hour, uh, George Sosa, Vice President of Sales, Master Chief George Sosa of Alec Bradley Cigar, will join us. I'll also conduct the National Cigar Litation Libation Ceremony first segment in the next hour. Also, uh, want to thank uh, one of our very loyal listeners down in South Florida who reminded me that Sheriff Scott Israel is a Democrat and is a big supporter of Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Well, I can tell you that Sheriff Israel should absolutely resign or be fired after his performance and blatant lies going into that CNN uh, town hall. Let's go to Joel up in Pensacola, Florida. You are front and center, Joel. Joel, turn your uh, radio down or your uh, app down. You are front and center. Go ahead. Okay, Joel, i got to put you back on hold. I need you to turn things down. So, whoops, let me see if I can do this. I think I've got them. Let me see if I can. All right, there we go. Let's go to Jim in the Cigar City of Tampa. You are front and center. Okay. Um, Your friend kind of stole my thunder. I was going to say the same thing about uh, Israel. Uh, It came to light that a student that graduated in 2004 called Glenn Beck on Friday and told him exactly what Israel is all about, that he is a left-wing communist. Well, uh, he is a Democrat. And by the way, in Florida, and this is in most, really, municipalities around the country, most sheriffs run as a Republican or a Democrat. And he is a registered Democrat, obviously a big supporter. But his performance, absolutely atrocious. So, Jim, I definitely appreciate that. Let's go back to Charles in Pensacola. Let's try it again, Charles. Are you there? Hey, good morning. I uh, wanted to tell you I'm not a cigar smoker, but I do enjoy your show every Saturday when I'm in my car. Well, well, that's uh, okay, Charles. I appreciate it. We welcome all. And I do appreciate you taking up these issues. Uh, you seem to be always on the same side I'm on on. Uh, I wanted to point out a couple of things about the NRA. Number one, I'm not a member of the NRA, but the NRA is made up of people 
that's the only thing that keeps the NRA going. The NRA is not an organization or a corporation for profit. It's a membership organization. Without members, it wouldn't exist. It's a little like insurance companies. The lawyers try to demonize the insurance companies, and all they are are people banding together to insure their property or insure their liabilities and so forth. So the, the uh, gun uh, anti-gun people are trying to demonize the NRA, and what they're doing is demonizing gun owners. Uh, so we need to keep that in mind when we're talking about the NRA. And, of course, these young people, they're being led by older people, uh, adults who are already, either their parents are already anti-gun or the people who are leading them are anti-gun. And one of the problems we're not hearing, and we need to hear from these young people who hunt and fish with their dads, uh, that my son was trained from the time he was six years old to carry a gun and shoot a gun, and he's a uh, sportsman today, and there's a lot of them out there, and they're just barking up the wrong tree with this NRA thing, and they just don't realize it. But, of course, again, their their goal is to ban guns, and they say they don't want anything but uh, assault rifles banned. But if you go back and look for the last 40 years like I've watched, remember when Kennedy was assassinated, it was the mail-order guns they wanted to get rid of. So they stopped the mail-order guns. So every crisis, they bring up a new issue, and it's like the camel's nose in the tent, and that's what they've done over the years is gradually a piece of the pie, and then they'll wind up with the whole pie if we don't watch out. Thanks well, Charles, you're, 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 thank you, Charles. You bring up a great point, and I was going to bring that up earlier in the show. At the beginning, I said, I know why the NRA is opposed to even sensible changes. The reason is we've seen this in the world of cigars. When you give the government, or in the case of the uh, cigars, I remember in California, this has got to be about 20 years ago, the people, the enemies of pleasure said, we want to eliminate smoking just in public buildings, inside restaurants and buildings. Okay, and people said, yeah, that's common sense. Great, let's do that. And everybody went along with it. And so what happened? Restaurant owners said, great, we'll build outdoor patios. We'll accommodate our cigar connoisseurs, smokers outside, and make everybody aware this is a cigar or smoking-friendly area. They did that. They invested. And what happened a few years later? The enemies of pleasure came back and said, well, now that we got our foot in the door an inch, we want a foot. And then they made it illegal to smoke even in outdoor patios. Then once they got the foot, a few years later, they came back and said, well, now that it's been so successful in buildings and outdoor restaurants, now what we want to do is make smoking illegal in, on golf courses, on sidewalks, on, in public parks. Then they started taking a mile. And the NRA understands, and I know this, it's never just one little issue. You can say, look, all we want to do is have one sensible issue. You and I would agree, yeah, sensible issue. You know what? Maybe we don't need certain types of guns. The problem is, once they get those guns, they're going to want to go out and say, hey, listen, people don't need personal handguns. Let's go after those, too. It's called incrementalism. They start with one small step and keep going until the next thing you know, five feet becomes 100 feet, 100 feet becomes 1,000 feet, 1,000 feet becomes a mile. It's never enough for the enemies of pleasure. And for the opponents of the NRA... Never enough. Charles brought up a good point. It's members. This isn't a monolithic organization. There are men, there are women, young, old, Republicans, Democrats, people that want to protect their right to shoot, whether it is hunting or protect themselves. 
When we come back, hour number two, we'll conduct the National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. If I have some time, I will go ahead and play some of those sound bites. And then next hour, we'll be joined by Master Chief George Sosa, VP of Sales, Alec Bradley Cigars, talking about their whole lineup. Longtime friend, stand by hour number two. And the special edition of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way. The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Diamond Crown. Sit back, relax, pour a drink, and light up a Diamond Crown as you begin the show with the general, Cigar Dave. This This is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave. And I welcome you back to this special edition of the Cigar Dave Show as we, I am analyzing what the agenda stream media ignored about the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida back Wednesday, February 14th. We have spent uh, the last hour looking at that and on our CigarDave.com page, and social media will lay out all the four items contributing to what I have called the breakdown behavior in boys. I would like to do a very short, abbreviated litation and libation ceremony, so without any further delay. I have just pulled out the Alec Bradley Mundial. Mundial in Spanish means world. And I remember sitting with uh, Alan Rubin, George Sosa, and uh, Rafael Montero talking about this Mundial. Took five years to perfect. Uses a Honduran Trojas wrapper, Honduran binder, four fillers from Honduras and Nicaragua. All Perfecto sizes. I've got the Perfecto PL6, six inches in length, 54 ring gauge. Fantastic cigar, a lot of meatiness, a lot of spice to it. I've just cut the foot of that cigar. And as I toast it, let me tell you, it's going to accompany be accompanied by a Balvini Portwood 21. Beautiful single malt from Balvini. Absolutely spectacular. A lot of flavor to that. 21 years of age in old Portwood casks. Very, very nice combination. Take a few puffs. Mm. Fantastic. I will say cheers. And to the memory of those that passed the 17 dead uh, at the school shooting in Parkland. All right, let me play a soundbite from the CNN town hall meeting. Dana Lash, NRA representative, confronts Sheriff Scott Israel about the 39 warnings that his department had about the uh, 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz murderer. 
39 visits, assaulting students, assaulting parents, taking bullets and knives to school. Did that not meet that standard? Well, which 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 are you speaking about specifically? You seem to know about all 39. Well, there's I know there's one Florida statute well, where if he's no, no, sending me, messages me threatening, case. if he's sending messages threatening to kill people, that right there under Florida state law. Who did he send the message to kill people to? BuzzFeed, AP, Reuters, Yahoo News no, all what, reported that what, was to other students. Who is the victim? It was, well, it was Reuters sent to other students. Dana, Reuters can't be a victim. The only person who could be they a victim is an individual. This, Sheriff, is what so I'm if saying. an individual was threatened and it was real, that's a crime. But it, if he's posting yes, things... they were threatened with death. They were threatened that they were going to bleed. They were threatened that they were going to be killed. Well... What's your specific case? And he had already taken bullets and knives to school. He had already assaulted people. He assaulted his parent. He assaulted other students. 39 visits. And this was w w known what to the, 30, the, to the intelligence and law enforcement the, community. Now, I'm not, look, I'm not saying that you can be everywhere at once. No. But this is what I'm talking you're, you're about. We have to follow up on these red flags. You're, you're not the litmus that meets test. The, doesn't you're, that meet the You're standard? absolutely not the litmus test for how law enforcement should follow up. You're wrong. There weren't 39 visits. Some some of them, they were GOA. Some of them called from other states. To say there were 39 visits, I don't know where you got those facts, but you're completely Media. wrong. Did well, they report it inaccurately? They, they reported it inaccurately, but if, if you're going to stand up in front of a national audience, you shouldn't I'm, rely I'm not, on a, I'm asking on a you. media. This is what I'm asking It's incorrect. You. We are looking at every single case we got. We are following up on it. We will decide uh, and discern what deputies did, what investigators did. And we will, I will handle it accordingly and people will be punished if they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Sheriff Scott Israel blatantly lied, deflected, gave a BS answer to Dana Loesch. Dana Lash knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew that four of his deputies did not go in. He knew they ignored the warnings. Shame on him. He should be fired or resigned. A special happy birthday a greeting to XO Tim and our Buffalo Theater of Operations. It is his birthday on Tuesday. So, Tim, as always, celebratory maneuvers for you on Tuesday. All right. When we come back, change of pace. We will be joined by George Sosa, VP of Sales, Alec Bradley Cigar, and our Cigar Masters series the remainder of this hour. Listen to Cigar Dave anytime, anywhere, with podcasts of the show. Download them through iTunes or visit CigarDave.com. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. 
Surgeon General warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. As a cigar connoisseur, one of the pleasures that we derive is walking into our retailer's humidor and seeing the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Nine years ago, I had the idea that I wanted to share great cigars with the cigar lieutenants. So, the Officers Club was born. Every month, you will receive three fantastic premium cigars direct to your door, shipped in a very dapper Officers Club customized Ziploc cigar pouch. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. No long-term contracts. You can cancel whenever you want. You enjoy great cigars right to your door. Names like Perdomo, Diamond Crown, Brickhouse, San Latano, Rocky Patel, Torano, CAO, Avo, Camacho, Greycliff, and many more. Join the Officers Club today. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and for $22.95, you'll get the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Good things come in small packages. Well, not according to the General's harem, the Cigar Dave Show. Well, we're going to change pace in the last half hour of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Change the pace from talking about uh, what took place down in Parkland earlier this week and the subsequent aftermath. And it is my pleasure to welcome a longtime friend, well-known cigar industry insider, Master Chief George Sosa, the Vice President of Sales for Alec Bradley's Cigar down in Fort Lauderdale. And what many people don't realize is that George, prior to being in the cigar industry, was in the United States Navy for, George, what was it, 20-some-odd years, if I'm not mistaken? 25 years, General, but who's counting? 25 years, as uh, retired as a Master Chief, so George... A snappy salute to you, and on behalf of all of our alphas, we thank you for your great service to this country, and you have been a longtime friend. We always share many laughs together. And, George, I know that uh, you're always on the road. In fact, uh, you just got back yesterday from New Orleans, but there have been many times when I see you on Twitter, on Facebook, and you're in Germany, you're in Norway, you're in Sweden, you're in California, there is no rest for you, George. You are out there 365. Got to do it, General. There are a lot of good cigars out in the market. I don't ever remember seeing so many good cigars in the marketplace. And if you're not front and center presenting your product, you're kind of lost. George, let's talk about your background because I think it's fascinating that you went from the military into the cigar industry. But tell us where you're from. I know you're from uh, New Jersey originally. But tell us uh, where you're from and your background and kind of a little bit of history of Master Chief and now VP of Sales for Alec Bradley, George Sosa. Well, you know, I'm going to give you the, the Reader's Digest edition so you don't lose any listeners. But basically, uh, a guy, a kid who grew up in New Jersey, born in New York, parents came from Cuba in the early 50s, I always say B.C., before Castro. They started seeing a writing on a wall. My dad, who's still alive, is a great man, and it's a great, you know, I call you sometimes while I'm smoking a cigar with him. 87 right. years old and smokes five cigars a day, General. That's a beautiful so thing. Keeps him going. Uh, you can't imagine. I look forward to every Saturday morning so we can just sit there. 
Um, but no, when I grew up in a place called Weehawken, it's right on the Hudson River. And I used to see the ships pulling in and out of port there in uh, the Hudson River. I say, you know, someday I'm going to escape uh, Weehawken and get on one of those ships. And I went in the Navy, uh, uh, went into explosives ordnance disposal. I wanted to be a diver, and that was the easiest channel at the time for me to become a scuba diver. So got into explosives. Didn't take me long before I decided that that stuff was dangerous. Then I went into recruiting, and, of course, they sent me to recruiting in Patterson, New Jersey, and that was even more dangerous at the time. And, uh, yeah, I uh, did 25 years, was lucky enough to know people in the industry, and I retired on a Friday, and Monday morning I was in a cigar industry. That is incredible. Friday, uh, out of the United States military, the U.S. Navy, and then you give up your whites, your formal whites, and then you go into the civilian suit on Monday, and it was initially with Perdomo Cigars, with Nick Perdomo. Yep. There is not a day that goes by that I don't thank Nick for giving me an opportunity to get in a business. Um, Nick believed in me. I, uh, I was with Nick in the beginning when he was starting the company, and he was very good to me, and the rest was history. Um, uh, started with Nick and then went to other company, another company, and then I ended up with Alan Rubin 12 years ago, and I haven't looked back since. I got treated very well, great company, and we're doing some exciting things. There's no question about it. You know, talking about your dad and uh, Alan, his father, and Ralph Montero, of course, the other of the uh, the trio of uh, executives at Alec Bradley Cigar, you came out with a cigar to really honor each of your fathers because they all like to smoke a certain cigar profile, and you came out with the Alec Bradley lineage. Yep, the family blend lineage. Um, yeah, it was a cigar. The, the initial release was really light, and it, it's what the old guys used to smoke and like it. It ran its course, and then we, we upped the ante and put a little more Liero in it. We still kept the old blend for our dads. Uh, my dad, you know, still likes a lighter blend. But, uh, yeah, we came out with the lineage, and it's also not only honoring our fathers, but the latest crop of Rubens. Uh, we have uh, Alec and Bradley with us, Alan's sons. Of course, uh, I hope everyone knows. I love when I go to events and people say, especially 12 years ago, is Alec Bradley here? He goes, no, Alec's <laughs> a senior, and Bradley's uh, he's uh, in grade school. And then they'd look around and say, if you're going to buy a box, I'll be Alan, uh, Alec Bradley. But no, Alec and Bradley are the owner's sons, and I'm very proud to have them in the company. They're the leadership coming up, and uh, we're molding them. And, and by all rights, they're, they're doing a, a darn good job. And that, I want to talk about that lineage for a second because that's a cigar. You know, Alec Bradley's got so many great cigars in the portfolio. But when you look at the lineage, it's just a great medium-bodied cigar, a lot of flavor, uh, it's got a beautiful Honduran Trojes wrapper, which is just a, a very unique wrapper. A lot of flavor on that cigar. And with so many of the other Alec Bradleys, it sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. But I love the little pigtail head on it. It's really a great cigar and uh, very reasonably priced as well. Yeah, Alan and Ralph are really in love with that Trojes region. Um, every time people I – get, I get embarrassed. I go to Europe – and I'm hearing them speak in German, and all of a sudden they'll say, Master Blender George Sosa. And I go, what? You go, I can't even blend coffee, much less tobacco. You know, right. I schlep cigars. I don't blend cigars. So, But I do know what I like and what I don't like, and I do like 
you know, I, I think I read people's faces, you know, pretty well when I'm doing a vent, and I love watching their face when they smoke that cigar because they think it's going to be too light for them. We're not known as making cigars that you're going to get a nicotine rush or, you know, you're going to start speaking in tongues or jumping off the bridge. We make cigars that have a lot of body and a lot of flavor. And, and that's a, th- a good thing, I think. Absolutely. The cigar that I'm enjoying today is the Alec Bradley Moon Dial. And I know you worked on that for five or so years, four different fillers from Nicaragua and Honduras. Also has that Trojas wrapper. Uh, just a very lovely cigar, and it's got the uh, beautiful Perfecto shapes. And, in fact, I pulled out the uh, the PL number 6, which is 6 by 54 so it's the, the Toro-sized Perfecto. Beautiful cigar, and, again, just a, an, another award winner that uh, when people smoke it, they're blown away by it. Yeah, and, and again, something I didn't know before I got in the industry, like I said, I kind of judge cigars the way I judge whiskeys or anything else. I either like it or I don't. doesn't mean you're not going to like it or you're not. You know, we all have different palates, but something that's consistent about that Trojas region is that aromatic quality when you toast the end of the cigar. It has such a sweet smell and so smooth. And it reminds me enough, and I used to listen to your show before I was in the industry. I got stationed in Miami in 1997. I go to the beach with my Walkman. Remember those things? I do remember the Walkman, George. We're dating ourselves. Listen, when the first one came out with a cassette player, that was huge. (laughs) Dude, next time you come into town, I'll give you a ride of my 78 Corvette. It has an 8-track player and a CB radio. (laughs) (laughs) Breaker 1-9, Breaker 1-9, Master Chief uh, coming your way. I get kids looking at that, and I, you know, where do you buy 8-tracks? I had to go on eBay, and I had to buy a lot. And they were all like Montavani and uh, stuff. <laughs> so when kids Listen, George, I cannot time. add a dame to my harem, the harem of 32 beautiful, bodacious dames, unless they know what an 8-track or a cassette is. If they don't, yeah, they're out. got to. Forget it. We, we, Forget it. We know what the struggle was. Remember taking a pencil and rewinding those things? <laughs> Remember going, going to a disco and you walk out of the car and you're half uh, dizzy from drinking a little bit? And, and you start tangling up on somebody's cassette, you know, like, what the hell is this? You're dragging tape. Yeah. Those times, are memories, George, Dave. Fun times back in the 80s, yeah. 70s, and 80s. Yep, yep. So the struggle so you, is real. Right. So, and, and that's before you're in the industry, you, you listen to the show, and then now you're in the industry, and you see it from a totally different perspective because you came as a cigar consumer, as a cigar connoisseur, and you've made the transition. And I know when we speak all the time, George, and we're very friendly, and I see you, and we at the conventions, we're always having a cigar and a cocktail and telling a few uh, politically incorrect jokes that we will not repeat here. Yeah, let's not here. go there. Let's not go there. We will not. But that's the one thing is that, you, you know, you still I can still see the fact that you still have the great passion for cigars and the, the people, and, and that's really what it boils down to. And that's why I say when we had our Alpha Pleasure Fest a few weeks ago, I made the statement that it was 200-plus alphas and, and their dames, their wives, their, their gumas, whatever, enjoying themselves, having a fun time, socializing, that the people that don't partake in cigars or that, that are enemies of pleasure, that, that want to interfere in, in our lives – they just don't understand the joy and happiness that we have. 
And it really just boils down to that because you, and I'm sure you see this all the time, you've made acquaintances and friends traveling this country, meeting connoisseurs, meeting different people in the industry across different cities, and you all share it. We start with a bond of cigars, but it always spreads from there. And Dave, unless you're doing it, you don't understand what we're talking about. Any, at any given time, I can look in a cigar shop. Not too long ago, I was in California, and I thought I was in an episode of The X-Files. I'm in a cigar shop. There's a Hells Angel, a prosecutor, and a uh, cop smoking a cigar in a cigar shop. And I go, you only see this in a cigar shop. I mean, and, and when you move on from there, the networking that goes on in a cigar shop, you will meet the accountants, you will meet the lawyer, you will meet the plumber, you will meet the electrician. No one goes out of that cigar shop when they need something. They know someone. <laughs> Yeah, and here's what I love is the fact, you know, we always hear these people, the Democrats say, we've got to preach diversity. We must have, like, they want to force diversity on everybody. The reality you is won't. you go into a cigar store, cigar lounge, you, you see people smoking on smoking cigars, whether they're, uh, you know, at a function or a club, whatever, is that the diversity is natural. It's not forced because you will see every ethnic group, every religion, every color, and everybody enjoying themselves, having good conversations, talking about the, the the news topic of the day or talking about a movie or talking support sports, and it's not forced, it's not contrived because it all revolves around that shared bonding of a cigar. Dave, 20 years ago, the best example of that is I did a cigar dinner in Tel Aviv at the Hilton in Tel Aviv. I mean, it was a really very, uh, I don't know what I was doing there. They invited me because I was with a cigar company, but they were definitely uh, above my pay grade. But, you know, 50% of the group was uh, Muslim and 50% was Israeli, and 100% of them got along. I was listening to the conversations going on. Are you coming over the house on Sunday after Shabbat? And I say, you know, maybe, just maybe, if we all smoke a cigar once in a while and talk about our problems, maybe we can settle a lot of the world's ills. I totally agree, and I've stated this many times, that what we need in Washington are those uh, smoke-filled back rooms where people, where members of Congress and Senate and the cabinet and the president smoking cigars, having cocktails, sitting down and saying, listen, there's no cameras here. Let's have a cigar. Let's, 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 let's work on some things together. And I really believe the rhetoric would change. And that's really what we miss. You see President Ronald Reagan, who you and I share a mutual admiration for, as well as President Donald J. Trump, but President Reagan and Tip O'Neill, Opposite ends of the spectrum, one Democrat, one conservative, different backgrounds, one originally from the Midwest, then moved to California, the other uh, a, a noted uh, Irish Bostonian. Every Friday, they would get together in the, uh, in the White House, 5 o'clock, 5.30. They'd have scotch and, and some spirits, and my understanding is a few cigars now and then as well. And it's amazing that they fought during the week, but they had a great cordial relationship. It was not an antagonistic relationship. Who can forget those two on St. Patrick's Day hugging each other and everything else? But today we have such an adversarial relationship. I mean, it's it's hostile. It's hostile. The way you can't even speak your mind without being attacked. No question about it. Our special guest is Master Chief George Sosa, Vice President of Sales of Alec Bradley Cigar. We'll continue our conversation. We'll talk more about their portfolio of cigars. And we'll talk about the January... 2018 Cigar Dave Officers Club selection, which was a spectacular new cigar from Alec Bradley. 
their lost art, the Prinsado lost art that we will talk about getting rave reviews. We'll continue our conversation front and center. The General is always on Twitter, delivering breaking news, giving you the latest intel on cigars, and battling the enemies of pleasure. Chat with the General now at Cigar Dave Show. The Cigar Dave Show is available 24 7, 365 via the Cigar Dave mobile app for Android, iPhone, as well as Amazon Kindle. You don't need to be in front of a radio. You just need to have your mobile device ready to go. And you can listen to me take on the enemies of pleasure. Talk about the alpha male good life as we talk cigars, spirits, diversions, grilling, everything associated with the alpha male good life. So go download the Cigar Dave mobile app today, presented by Diamond Crown. And you can listen to the show live, noon to 2 Eastern time, anywhere around the world. And as soon as the show is done, we run a continuous loop, the show is also available on demand, also our Twitter feed, Facebook feed, and the ability for you to record a message and send it directly to us. So go right now. If you've got an Android, an iPhone, or the Amazon Kindle, go and download the Cigar Dave mobile app presented by Diamond Crown. Never miss a minute of a Cigar Dave show with a Cigar Dave mobile app. With nads of steel like a conquistador, it's the General Cigar Dave. We continue with our special guest, George Sosa, VP, Sales, Alec Bradley Cigar, retired United States Navy, retired as a Master Chief, 25 years serving our nation in the United States Navy, 19 years in the cigar industry, last 12, VP of Sales for Alec Bradley Cigars. George, you really came on board, Alec Bradley, when it was primarily Alan Rubin, the uh, founder, and Ralph Montero, who joined very quickly thereafter. Ralph been in the cigar business for many, many years. Uh, I knew I knew Ralph when uh, he was a tropical tobacco, and then he had his own Montero cigar, which is one hell of a cigar. But Alec Bradley really has a very deep bench. People that really understand the cigar industry, they understand blending, they understand marketing and packaging. You've really got a great team over there. Yeah, we're pretty uh, fortunate. I mean, I always tell people packaging will uh, get you to cigar once, but it's not going to keep them there if it doesn't perform. So I'm very proud that they take the time. I don't get that part of it. I mean, I, I don't know a Panatone from a Panatone. You know, but they'll look at Pantones, they'll look at colors, they'll look at boxes. And, you know, I put my two cents in, but we have some young minds. We got now we have Jonathan Lipson, who was our rep in the Northeast. We brought him in for right. fresh ideas. The boys are in it, and they're pretty creative. Alan, uh, Alan sometimes I go nuts because he's hands-on. And, you know, I'm about get the product out there, you know. You always have sales and marketing going against each other. But I'm a, I'm a, there's a lot of type A personalities. So we got a good team. We got a good team and uh, we're doing a lot. You know, uh, we're having record. Every year has been growth, unfortunately, because of all the added expenses 
I know sometimes consumers and shopkeepers say, yeah, but you raise the prices. And we don't do it too often. When we do, it's, it's you know, we have to. And it still doesn't cover an iota of all the things that we're doing it to get ready for this fight of our lives. Because we yeah, know we're going to win some, but we're not going to win all. In fact, one of the things Alan Rubin and I were talking about yesterday was the good old days when – when he started 19 years ago and I started the show 22 and a half years ago, there were no enemies of pleasure. There were no smoking bans. There were no S-chip taxes. There were very minimal, three cents a cigar, four cents a cigar. There were no FDA onerous regulations and testing and, and, and grandfathered blends. And it is amazing what has happened over that 20-year uh, period, how a product that people enjoy – that adults consume, it's not kids, they're not marketed to children, it's an expensive product, it's like a fine wine. It is amazing how much external interference now has gotten in the way of a, a manufacturer wanting to make a great cigar to be enjoyed by a loyal consumer. Yeah, Dave, and, and therein lies my frustration, and I was just thinking to myself while you were saying that, you should travel with me, you know, maybe you can do like a uh, report on a road to some of these states that I go to where buying marijuana has become easier than buying a cigar with less and they allow, taxes. And they allow vending. people that smokes. Yeah. And they allow people that uh, want to smoke their marijuana anywhere. No problem. But you want to light a cigar. Heaven forbid. You know, and Dave, therein lies my dilemma. This is the first time in my adult life where I feel like I'm, I'm a, the merchant of death or something. It's like, you know, you go to places, I think, of cigar smokers. I mean, obviously, I believe in rights. When I, I don't even try to get into arguments with people about this because they're set in their ways, and I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not going that way. I mean, I happen to be Christian. The last guy I, I believed in got nailed to the cross, and I don't want to be the next guy. But I tell my friends, it's only a matter of time before it happens to fast foods. It's happening to soda. There comes a time that you will go to Morton's and you will get a surcharge for eating. And you know what? And I know what we're smart enough to look down a road and it's a slippery slope. And it, well, it's just a shame that it's gotten to this point where marijuana has become more socially acceptable than cigars. Yeah. And what we're seeing a pervasiveness over the last 20 years of a small minority of people and bureaucrats that believe that they are smarter than the American population that they are wiser than American consumers, that they feel it is their divine right to interfere and interject in what Americans decide they would like to consume and like to smoke, like to eat, like to imbibe, whatever. And we have seen this over and over, and it's a small mm -hmm. band of, uh, of bureaucrats. And I look at them and I say, "What? who in the hell elected them or made them smarter than anyone else? And it is amazing to me that we have allowed this to happen over the last 20 years. And what's interesting is the same people that 40, 45, 50 years ago in the 60s were protesting and jumping up and down against the government have now infiltrated the government to become bureaucrats and elected officials that want to get on their soapbox and wag their finger at you and I and say that they know much, they're much smarter than us in terms of what we should be consuming. And a perfect example of that is a guy by the name of Kelly Brownell, who is a, a noted uh, uh, expert on 
supposedly expert on food and food psychology and on obesity. And yet, if you go look at a picture, and we've posted many pictures, here's a guy that is morbidly obese. This guy is easily over 300 pounds. And I ran into him, ironically, at the, at the Cigar Retailers Convention in Orlando about, I don't know, three, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. He was, as I was walking to the Peabody Hotel, they were doing some conference, and I stopped, and I, I politely talked to him, and it was amazing. I looked at this guy, and I said, what gives you the right to tell everyone else how they sh- what they should consume and what they should eat when you should look in the mirror? You can't even help yourself. It starts with you first. And, of course, then he wanted to walk away, but it always amazes me that these people think they are smarter, more educated, and have more common sense than we do. And that's not what America was founded on. It was founded on adults being able to make their own decisions. Yep. Couldn't agree with you with you more, General. Now let's it's talk about good. a cigar from Alec Bradley. I remember this, I remember this very well. The Alec Bradley Tempest. I come down to visit you and Ralph and uh, and Alan Rubin. <clears throat> and I, I'd say this has got to be 10 years ago. And uh, we I meet at your office, and we go to a place, casual place, where we can smoke a cigar. And we're outside, nice covered area. And Alan pulls out these cigars, and he says, uh, I, he said, here, smoke this. I said, what is it? He said, just smoke it. So I smoke it. Great cigar. And I said, all right, now you got to tell me what it is. He said, well, this is going to be our new Alec Bradley Tempest. Tempest in Latin means time. Well, what he didn't tell me was that it took loads of Tempest until the Tempest finally was launched. I think it was three years later that it was launched. So this is maybe our lunch going back even longer than that. It took a long time, but that really was a just a difference maker cigar for Alec Bradley. Yeah, thank God. Um, it's well publicized that we did have growing pains when we came out with the Cigar of the Year, and I'm not going to get into it because it's water under the bridge, but I... I will say this about Alan. If he doesn't think that something is ready to be put out, it doesn't get put out. And I respect that. I mean, again, I think as a salesman, I smoke it and I think this cigar is really good. But he wants it to be over the top good. You know, and I know sometimes, you know, being the guy I am and Alan, I think I think he's gone to understand how I am. I said, you know, Alan. Sometimes I think if we were around in World War II, we would have stopped the Japs in Kansas City. And he looks at me like, get out of my office. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you that Alec Bradley Tempest, that really was a game changer. And that's a nice medium, medium plus cigar. You call it now the Tempest Natural. And now you've added two additional Tempests. You've got the Tempest Nicaragua and the Tempest Maduro. Talk about both of those line extensions. Well, the Tempest Nicaragua is right now our number four seller, really great cigar. The Maduro is being phased out. The wrapper leaf is not, uh, when we started trying the new wrapper leaf that was available, we're not happy with it. It may come back in the future, but we're the type of company that we'd rather kill a project if we can't duplicate it, like the uh, Alec Bradley New York is a great example. I don't think there's a day I don't get an email. Why can't I find a New York? Well, it's probably because we haven't made one in four years, you know. But if we can't duplicate that that flavor and you can't, you know, you can't get over on consumers. We have a very educated public because of shows like yours and other shows and people are blogging. I mean, everyone has a blog spot. 
you know, and, and sometimes when companies try and call it the same thing, everyone knows it's not the same thing. So we're doing really well with the original Tempest. We're doing really well with the, uh, the Tempest Nicaragua. Um, so we, we may expand it to the Nicar uh, to the Maduro later on, but it's not in our wheelhouse right now. Yeah, and the Tempest Nicaragua is a Nicaraguan puro. So the wrapper, binder, and filler from Nicaragua, and you use both the Lajero and Viso from Esteli, Condega, and Jalapa. So that's a very rich cigar, very different yeah, taste profile than the, the Tempest uh, natural. Absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the worst questions I get asked, two things I hate hearing on a road. What's your favorite cigar? And the other thing is when you ask someone, how do you like it? I say, it's not bad. I hate hearing it's not. It, means it doesn't mean it's good either. You know, so I said, right, George, no, my I next really question like is, it. what's your favorite cigar, George? Well, it, you know, I hate no, to that say was a this. joke, George. I, I was just doing no, that to I'm set you up. You, I'm staring at my humidor. I have one of those uh, wall store humidors. And if I have I'd say I have 2000 cigars in there, I'd say about a thousand of them are Tempest and some variation. I love that cigar. It's not too heavy in the morning. It's not too heavy in the middle of the day. I love that cigar. Well, one of the cigars that I think does not get as much love as the other cigars in the Alec Bradley line that I absolutely love, it's a fantastic cigar, a great price, is the Alec Bradley Max. That is a sleeper. It's a phenomenal cigar. Nicaraguan wrapper, Costa Rican binder. You don't say where the four-country filler blend is from, but I classified know where they're from. But it is a magnificent cigar at a nice medium-bodied taste. Very rich, very smooth. It's a great cigar. Yeah. Um, again, it has its niche market. You know, it is a bigger ring-size cigar. Uh, it does very well. Last time I checked our figures, it was like number six or seven on the list. It's very, very um, competitive in pricing, flavor, we repackaged it about a year and a half ago and gave it a little bit more flavor because people are gravitating to the more, uh, a lot more body in a cigar. So we've done pretty well with it. And we think with our branding, something we discovered is you're going to see Alec Bradley badge more prominent and then whatever the, the uh, front mark is, Prensado in smaller letter Max. And I think a lot of people, you know, they're shocked when they know Alec Bradley makes Max. And that's the cigar that put us on a map. That was the first yeah. cigar we made in a box. Well, well and, and the reblend really and repackaging. That, I, I apologize. I didn't mean in a box. We had other cigars and, you know, the medallion, the other cigars that people knew. But this was the cigar that really took people took notice. Remember the trilogy? Yeah, do I remember? There's a guy it was, in New Jersey. It was Jersey. a triangle. You look at it at a triangle shape. It wasn't a, 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 a cylinder. It was a triangular shape. It was kind of a cool yeah. cigar. Actually, the cigars are pretty good. Kind of a novelty, but uh, I, I remember that very well, and I remember how you had that displayed. That was early before you started giving away uh, espresso and other goodies in the Alec Bradley I, uh, booth I at even, the IPCPR convention. I wasn't even in a company when that was out. That's right. Yeah, that's going way back. Yeah. You know, my George first Sosa. cigar. Go ahead. Go ahead. My first no, cigar. Say, you used to talk about it during the. Think, put your thinking cap on and think back. I grew up in Weehawken, which is a stone's throw from Union City. Remember Rolando Reyes, Aliados? Sure, Cuba Aliados, Puros Indios. Uh, 
I used to buy those things by the bundle and smoke them like they were candy on a ship. And there was only one part of the ship that I could smoke on. It was an ammunition ship. So you can, you can understand why they don't want flames around the ammunition. But boy, I had a cigar club back there and we'd smoke cigars and that was my first cigar. Those, I'll tell you something. Those were uh, the, the Cubaleados and Puro Indios were our great cigars. And Orlando Reyes uh, Sr., I don't think there's anybody that could work with the Ecuadorian Sumatra rapper better than Rolando Reyes Sr. He was really a temperamental guy, but boy, did he know his stuff. And all he wanted to do is just stay down in Honduras in the factory and work the tobacco and make great cigars, and he sure did. Once, George Sosa, once year, retired. Once, Go ahead. Once a year, they dust them off and bring them to the IPCPR. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, he was a great I really enjoyed every time yeah. I would meet him. And boy, even I remember seeing him in the middle of the summer down in Little Havana when he was visiting uh, you know, their, their warehouse unloading, I think he was 73 or 74 at the time, unloading boxes. And I remember telling Carlos Diaz, his grandson, I'm like, Carlos, are you nuts? What, what are you letting him do that for? He said, dude, I can't, can't help it. There's nothing I can do. He, he's just, yeah. that's what he wants to do. So he was uh, definitely a unique character in the cigar industry. Master Chief George Sosa, retired U.S. Navy, now the VP of Sales at Alec Bradley Cigars. Our guest, final and concluding segment of this Unique and very special edition of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. If you miss any of the general show, you can catch up anytime with the Cigar Dave mobile app. Presented by Diamond Crown. Listen to the most recent show simply by opening the app with our continuous replay. Or you can download a podcast of a past show. Search Cigar Dave in the App Store to get it. It's an exquisite day here at the Jensen Estate patio overlooking the 13th green. And we're underway. Jim Jensen has chosen his favorite stick. The Diamond Crown Number no. 4 by J.C. Newman. See the way he holds the cigar, Tom? Mm. Excellent balance and heft. Ooh, he's eyeing the silky Connecticut Shade Wrapper, fermented twice for the smoothest, richest flavor. And hand-rolled by the Fuente family with a blend of six to seven distinct Dominican and Caribbean basin tobacco leaves. Each lovingly aged for at least five years. Oh, now Jensen's lighting up the Diamond Crown. He's got a precision burn, Tom. Mm, those highly complex flavors with hints of dark chocolate really deliver, Bill. Yes, like all cigars in J.C. Newman's premium diamond crown line. That'd be the highly rated Maximus and the Julius Caesar. Ah, now Jensen's settling in, rolling the rich smoke through his nose. Look at the satisfaction on his face, Bill. Oh, a thing of beauty, Tom. Experience the premium Diamond Crown brand by J.C. Newman at select retailers or Diamond Crown Lounge near you. Find us on Facebook at J.C. Newman Cigar Co. or visit DiamondCrown.com. a conversation with Rocky Patel about the vintages. The vintages. I sought out to find some of the oldest, rarest wrappers in the world. The 1990, 92, and 99 vintages are very special. You got three different wrappers on three great cigars. The 90 is a 12-year-old broadleaf wrapper. The 92 is a 10-year-old Ecuadorian Sumatra wrapper. And the 1999 is a gorgeous golden 7-year-old Connecticut wrapper. Three beautiful mild to medium-bodied cigars. Tons of flavor, yet elegant and well-balanced. Great fermentation on tobacco. You're going to love it. The beauty about the vintages is that they draw great, they burn perfectly, and you can smoke them down to the last inch. You can't go wrong with any vintage. Every cigar, from the beginner to the aficionado, great masterpieces for your humidor. 
I hope you love it. I'm Rocky Patel, and I promise you nobody works harder to make a better cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General warning, cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. The foremost authority on cigars, spirits, diversions, and the good life. The General Cigar Dave. Last few minutes in this edition of our Cigar Masters series with Master Chief George Sosa, retired United States Navy, 12-year VP of Sales at Alec Bradley Cigars, joining us down in uh, South Florida. George, in January... We featured the Alec Bradley Prensado Lost Art as our Officers Club selection. The response was overwhelming. And I remember being in your booth with you and Ralph and uh, Alan. I smoked the cigar, blew me away. Loved it, loved the shape, loved the feel of it, loved the blend. And I said, we got to do this for the Officers Club. And Ralph said, no problem. We can't do it in the next few months. I said, how about January? Is that enough time? He said, done. Great cigar, really pays homage to the art of the lost art of handcrafting goods, cigars still handcrafted. Beautiful cigar. Tell us about uh, the creation of the Prensado Lost Art. Well, Ralph and Alan were working on this blend, and they, again, they like to bring things in coded so we don't know what factory it's from, who's doing it. So that way we're not jaundiced with, you know, we love it. You know, and they brought the cigar, and usually when they bring a cigar in, you got to sit on it for a while. But when they brought it in, it was great off the get-go. Once we let it sit for a while, we were really in love with it. Then came the naming it. And, I mean, that in itself is a three-, four-, two-week, three-week meeting. And it all came down to the lost art of things that are made by hand. You just don't see it. We wanted it to be an homage of everything that's made by hand. We took the Prensado and we did a line extension. And, of course, the Prensado has had high accolades, it's done very well for us. And in Europe, I mean, it's just on fire. When I go there, I love going against the Cubans over there. And I can't wait. I can't wait for Cubans to come here. So people can try the forbidden fruit. It is a fantastic cigar. George, very tight on time. So real quickly, you're bringing back for St. Patrick's Day in about two weeks, the black market filthy hooligan, a Candela cigar. Yep, it's already on the on the uh, shelves. Started shipping about two weeks ago, and uh, we come out with it once a year. I must admit, the first year we did it, it was a strict candela, and it wasn't my taste. Did well, but I think it could have done better if we did got that grassiness. We put that natural candela barber pole, and it's been a hit. We keep it down to two thousand boxes, and it's being released right now. And I suggest that your listeners pick it up for St. Patty's Day, drink a nice uh, Guinness with it, and you can't go wrong. Well, that's that's exactly the cigar that I'll be smoking for our St. Patrick's Day uh, edition. George, real quickly, what is the number one selling cigar in the Alec Bradley portfolio? By far, black market, and we just did a line extension on a black market. We've been backordered ever since it came out at the show. The black market Esteli. You guys see it at the shore at the stores, pick it up and uh, buy a couple because I know we're going to be in back order status for at least the next four months. 
That has just exploded. Absolutely incredible with all the line extensions, and it is indeed a great cigar. Uh, George Sosa, VP of Sales of Alec Bradley Cigars, longtime friend, retired U.S. Navy as a Master Chief. George, we appreciate you coming on, as always, my friend. It was a, a delight, and I look forward to seeing you down in South Florida. We'll have a few cigars, we'll have a few laughs, and we'll have some uh, fine libations and delicacies. General, thank you for your friendship and for it's an honor to be on your show. You've always been very kind to me. Thanks for everything. George, you are the best, my friend, and uh, I truly appreciate our friendship as well. All right, Alphas and Lieutenants, we hope you enjoyed a uh, very unique show today as we uh, certainly in the first hour really took a look at what took place down at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland. 17 victims, an absolute tragedy. Yes, gun, a gun was involved, but it was far, far deeper than that. And we really need to look as Americans at how we are treating young boys. We need to look at the entire big picture, not just one small micro snapshot. Also want to thank George Sosa of Alec Bradley Cigars and thank you as always for listening. Hope you enjoyed your cigar. Hope you enjoyed your libations and hope you enjoyed the show. Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. May those 17 victims rest in peace.